And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Elliot presents four timeless lessons from Jonah chapter 3. And now, Pastor Robert Elliot. You do know that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Whether you are the filthy, richest tycoon in the world or the most poor, financially poor person, homeless, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all must come to Jesus and what he did on the cross. There's no favoritism with God in salvation. Verse 6, and when word reached the king of Nineveh (laughs) that in yet 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown and that from the greatest to the least of his subjects in the city of Nineveh, they were putting on burlap and stopping eating and drinking to show their sorrow for sin of being vicious. When that got to the king, he arose from his throne and laid aside his royal robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat on ashes. Another sign of outward, outward sign of inward repentance in that day, one was to wear burlap and to stop eating and drinking. The other was to burn things and then to take the ashes and throw them up over your head and let them just come down in your hair and your scalp and your face and to rub it on your body to say that I'm sorry that I'm a sinner. Does God see us being sorrowful for our sin? We don't have to wear burlap and we don't have to smear ashes on ourselves. But does God see my heart when I sin that I'm truly sorry One of the greatest proofs that I am truly sorry for my sin is if I don't do it again. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat on ashes. And he issued a proclamation And it said in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. He says it's not just the humans that are going to fast, it's the animals. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. They even put burlap blankets on the animals. And let men call on God earnestly. That's the true name of God, Elohim. The king knew about Elohim, mighty God, creator. This pagan king knew about Elohim. And he told his subjects to call on Elohim earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hand. When we call on the true and living God in prayer, it will turn us away from wickedness. It's very impossible to pray earnestly to God and sin at the same time. And so the king says, call on Elohim earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God, Elohim, may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish? It's a question. He says, I don't know for sure 
If God will relent and pull back the calamity that said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I don't know for sure that he'll do that if we repent, but repent anyway. (laughs) Repentance is always right. I love this king. He says, you repent and maybe God will relent and withdraw his burning anger and we won't perish. Can God change his mind? He's eternal without beginning and without ending. His decrees, his will, his plan has been set and established before the foundations of the earth. Can God change his mind? No, he can't. But he can see when a person repents and he can be sorry about even the concept of his wrath sending them to hell. Doesn't change his mind. His declaration against Nineveh was from eternity past. His knowledge of the Ninevites' repentance was from eternity past. Lessons from chapter 3. God gives second chances. I'm so glad. There's been a time in my life I've run from him. And he's given me not just a second chance, he's given me a third chance, a fourth chance. Maybe you can relate. What you don't want to believe tonight, if you have not done what God has told you to do, that he won't give you the opportunity to do it. As long as you have breath and life, you can obey God where you didn't before. When we go to be with Christ, we no longer have opportunity to do anything on earth. But while we have breath and life on earth, he'll give us more than one chance to do his will. Do it. Number two lesson, souls are the most important. God doesn't look at gross national products, exports and imports. He doesn't look at the Federal Reserve. He doesn't look at innovation and invention. He doesn't look on markets, the Dow Jones or the NASDAQ. God doesn't look at any of that. He controls it, but he's not focused on that. When God looks at America, he looks at souls, people made in his image, fallen into sin, totally depraved, rebels against God actively or passively. He looks at people. He cares about souls. Do you? Do I? If I do care about souls and if you care about souls, what is the proof? Have you told anybody about Christ? Would you? Could you? God cares about souls. They're the most important to him. Third lesson. Repentance is always right for everyone. The king knew it. He said, we're brutal. (laughs) We're violent. We've disobeyed Elohim's principles. Repent, and maybe he will relent. But even if he won't relent, repent. 
if you know of sin in your life, repent. The great thing is that Christ has paid for the sin, but fellowship with God will be restored. Repentance is always right for everyone. Fourth lesson, last lesson. God's will and God's word always line up. God's will and his word always line up. One doesn't go one way and the other goes the other way. Remember, he said to Nineveh, or to Jonah in verse two, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. God's will for Jonah was accordance with God's word to Jonah. God's will for you is in accordance with his word to you. God's will for you is in accordance with his word to you, the Bible. God's will for any of us will never contradict the Bible. Just like Jonah in chapter one makes the outlandish statement in verse nine, and then he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land while he's running away in disobedience. Just like that, I meet people who are Christians who tell me it's God's will and they say something that's totally contrary to his word. God's will is never in opposition to his word, never. Ever. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. This is not a suggestion book. This is a truth book. This is a timeless, inspired book that tells us God's will. You can never accurately say that I sense it's God's will to do something that's not in God's book that's against God's book. We are to be people of this book. There's so many tools nowadays that we can find what's in this book with software, computer software, concordances, topical Bibles, study Bibles. There's so many tools that you can have at your disposal to find out what does the the word of God say about parenting? then parent that way. Don't say, well, my kid's an exception. What God says about parenting, parent that way. What does God say about money? Money is one of the most reoccurring themes of the book of Proverbs. What did Jesus say about money? Well, I don't really think that applies to me. Yes, it does. What does God's word say about evangelism? Disciple making. Huh, Uh, I'm not trained for that. It's not my gift. (laughs) God's word is always in line with his will for us. And if you're here tonight and you say, I want to know his will for me. I really, really do. Then get in this book. 
use tools like I've cited in others to find out what God does say about finding his will. God gives second chances. Souls are the most important to God. Repentance is always right for everyone. And God's will and his word are always in agreement. Please stand with me. It could be tonight that somebody's on a boat in a storm and because they're running from God, he's getting their attention. It could be that somebody's here tonight and they're not literally in the belly of a fish, but they might as well be because they're in desperate straits. And they know now it's time to call out to God. It could be tonight there's somebody here that senses that something that God told them in the word of God that they've ignored, he's telling them again. It's time to do it. It could be that somebody's here tonight and the light has come on that souls are more important than material things. That there's a real heaven and a real hell. And people that we meet every day are going one of the two places. And that we might be the only born again Christian that they'll know before they die. It could be that some people here tonight need to stop eating food and drinking water for a time to concentrate on God. It could be that somebody here tonight needs to understand that repentance is contagious and that if they will repent and turn from sin and not go back to it, that their spouse will be affected positively. That their school children they teach or the kids they parent will be positively influenced. That this church will be positively influenced if those who need to repent and turn from sin will do so. Where do you fit in? Take a quiet, silent time to talk to God about it. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, good morning. We're glad to be with you this morning. I have in the recording studio Pastor Errol Farkason, one of our dear friends and uh, a co-laborer with me on a project we call Mini Churches. Good morning, Errol. Uh, good morning, and thank you for having me here this morning, and good morning, Bahamas. <laughs> Pleasure. Mini Churches, um, as a church grows bigger in its numerical size, the need for uh, getting to know one another becomes a more pressing need. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could help our listeners know um, how big many churches are, where they meet, and what they do. Yeah, so um, the the concept of the mini church is, you know, that 
from the big church, you know, you come to church on a Sunday, you, you have your service, and then at the end of the service, everybody kind of disperses. You may have a, a, five, a few minutes to be able to chat to someone for a few minutes, but then for the most part, you don't really get to know too many people, you know, on, a, on an intimate basis through uh, the, the big church meetings. So the concept of the mini church is that we have small groups that meet together in, in individual houses, members' houses, and that way we can form tighter bonds. It's, it's a time of Bible study, time of fellowship, time of prayer, and a time of just getting together and, and uh, also even outreach uh, to, to be able to encourage non-believers to come to be a part of this group as well. So this is really a, a part of becoming a real family unit. And I mean, we've had groups that have, when they've stayed together, you know, they when it's time to, to form new groups, it's always a, a challenge because the, the folks have gotten to know each other so well and so close that they feel like family and they feel like they're breaking up their families. So that's the kind of bond that we can grow in these mini churches. And I mean, to be able to look out for each other, to care for each other, you know, if someone's not well or they have an issue with their families, we have the group to be able to support the, the members that way. And it's a really fantastic ministry. It is. Mini churches, I like to say that small is big. Uh, small has a big impact. Yes, yes, for sure. That's right. We had uh, 14 mini churches last season and we're trusting the Lord that with the kickoff in a late September of 16, that we'll have 18 mini churches. Uh, each mini church is led by two hand-picked uh, male leaders, and uh, the curriculum is, is video-driven, DVD-driven. So um, this particular season, starting in September of 2016 and running through about June of 2017, we'll be meeting on the second and fourth Sunday nights of the month. And uh, we'll be looking at two topics. First, uh, what happens to you after you die? And the second topic, which will be a little longer in study, helping people to heaven. In other words, how we can explain the gospel and then holding ourselves gently accountable to, in fact, share the gospel with lost people. What would you say to a person, uh, Errol, that has um, interest in a mini church but has never been a part of one? What would they expect? What could they expect if they were to visit a mini church at Calvary Bible Church? Well, if they were to come to be a part for the first time, you know, it's a very warm and a very open and inviting environment when you come to the mini churches, you know, because everybody is really known to each other. So when you come in, you know, we have a time of introductions and getting to know each other. So new members, a new persons visiting, we try to get to know them a little bit, you know, find out who they are, a little bit about their story. And then, of course, we want them to become a part of the activities that are get involved with, the study and the fellowship and, and the prayer. So these are items that are geared towards really growing bonds and growing fellowships and getting to know each other. So I think that uh, for people coming in, it's a great opportunity to become a part of a, of a nice unit that where you can uh, really feel like a part of a family, you know, and for those who uh, want to look out for you and, or, and really care for you sincerely. That's a good point. Looking out for one another, caring sincerely for each other. I've seen that in our many churches to God's glory. When there's a need, uh, the the church many church rallies around that person yes, in love, yes, yes. and uh, we have time for each other. And uh, it's a place for safety. You can sure. share things that yes. that may be difficult to share, but you know you're loved, and uh, exactly. people handle that information properly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're excited. So um, as I mentioned, uh, maybe I didn't give the concrete date, but Lord willing, uh, many churches will start September the 25th, and we'll meet, as I said, the second and the fourth Sunday nights of the month through mm -hmm. June. 
And um, if you'd like more information about many churches at Calvary Bible Church, please uh, give us a call, 242-326-0800. Let me lead us in a word of prayer for the many churches that soon will be reconvening. Our gracious God, we thank you that when we look at the New Testament, we see that our Lord and Savior had a small group. He had 12 men that he poured his life into, and he did life with these, one of whom he knowingly uh, knew would betray him, but nonetheless, he was in that group. And Lord, thank you for the concept that big is, is found in the small, and that we can see you do mighty and big things in our small groups that we call many churches. We pray, Lord, for you to raise up the co-leaders that are needed, and the persons to sit in each circle within each home. Uh, that there would be spiritual growth that takes place this year and encouragement that we would laugh with those who laugh and, and cry with those who cry and that we would be very uh, meaningful part of the Christian formation of the persons in our many churches. Thank you, Lord, for uh, helping us to have this ministry and may you be honored and glorified in this ministry of many churches. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And now, today's personal God story. Today, Pastor Elliot begins telling his own unique God story. It's a story of God's amazing patience, plan, and grace. This morning, I'd like to share with you part of my God story, part of the ways that God has so graciously and faithfully and clearly intervened in my life to bring me from where I would have been without Christ to where he wanted me to be in Christ, both in my past and my present, and I trust in my future. I came from a religious family that lived in Toronto, Canada. My grandfather and my father were involved in the funeral business. They owned two funeral homes in Toronto, and they both lived the best lives they could in the community and the business world with integrity and honesty and kindness. But my dad was religious in that kind of a lifestyle with my mama as well, but they weren't yet saved. They didn't know what it meant to be born again. They, they were just trying to be moral people. And I was born first to my mom and dad, the eldest child. And a, few, a couple of years after I was born, God gave my parents a second child, a baby girl, and they named her Janet. And uh, baby Janet was born with a congenital kidney problem, a serious congenital kidney problem. And actually, after she was born, she was put into a neonatal intensive care in the hospital. And she never actually got to go home to our house because she passed into the presence of Jesus when she was just two weeks old. At the time when my, my baby sister was born, uh, I was going to a nursery school, and it was a nursery school that was run by a fine, genuine, born-again Christian woman named Mrs. Clements. And my parents respected Mrs. Clements. They knew her, she, her to be a, a woman of faith and, and uh, kindness and prayer, and they, they admired her. They didn't quite understand what made her tick, but uh, nonetheless, they were glad to enroll me in Mrs. Clements's nursery school. And in the course of, of Mrs. Clements picking me up at the beginning of nursery school days from my house and 
bringing me to her school and then returning me to my house after the school day. She was asking about, did my mommy have her baby? And then when I said she had had a baby, but the baby wasn't well, Mrs. Clements would each day ask, how's your baby? And apparently one day I told Mrs. Clements what I had been told as a little boy, and that was that my sister went to be with Jesus the night before. And uh, this really really hit Mrs. Clements because of her compassionate heart. And although she herself was struggling financially and her husband had been killed in an auto wreck and was left her to be the single parent to five children under the age of 16, uh, and she was struggling to make ends meet, cleaning houses and running this nursery school, she, upon learning of my baby sister's death, really went to a prayer even more for my parents and she even produced a full beautiful hot meal the night she learned of Janet's death and had it delivered to my parents by her eldest son Norman who was 16. This really touched my parents. They knew that she was special and different than them but to for her to respond that quickly and that generously really touched them uh, and there was a card, a, a sympathy card with the meal that wrote out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 for my parents, which say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. And those verses were so comforting to my mom and dad, even before they were truly Christians. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior. Hey.